Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Uh, Last week, Paul urged Timothy to remember Jesus Christ, to fix your eyes on Jesus, to stay grounded in the gospel. Uh, He's telling Timothy, don't be distracted from what matters most. Because as we'll see this morning, there's a lot of empty chatter going on in the church. People are literally at war with their words. And, And Paul is telling Timothy, don't get caught up in that. In fact, lead the church away from such meaningless distractions because those distractions ultimately work against people's faith. The problem is is that they were majoring on the minors and they were losing sight of Jesus Christ altogether. People were posturing for influence, trying to, to gain a following instead of leading people towards Christ. And all this created some, some confusion and, and unrest in the church. And actually, that's part of the enemy's strategy. That is fertile ground for him to, to introduce his deception and his lies. Because his ultimate goal is to distract you and I from what matters most. If we think about that in our world today, we all know that there's plenty of distractions that we face, right? There's plenty of people who are trying to gain a following. In in fact, your influence is often measured by your followers. You have followers on Twitter, followers on Facebook, followers on Instagram. The more followers you have, the more influence you possess. The question is, how do you wield your influence? Or more specifically... How do you use your words? Do they build up or do they tear down? Are they distractions from Christ or do they point people to him? Last week, Paul reminds Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. And this week, he wants Timothy to help his church focus on what matters most. To keep their hearts centered on Jesus and the truth of his word. Because anything that distracts us from his truth is ultimately destructive in our life. So build your life on the foundation of God's word if you want to stand strong. You following Christ is much more important than who's following you. Before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for words like this morning. Because we are easily distracted. We are surrounded by influences that want to pull us away from what is good, what is right, what is true. And ultimately, want us to pull us away from you. So as we focus on your word this morning, would you draw our hearts towards you? Would you help us see what you intend for us to know for our good and for your glory? Would you have your way in our lives this morning? We pray this in your name. Amen. If you would, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse 14. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says, Remind them of these things, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless, and leads to the ruin of those 
who hear. As Paul kind of introduces this next topic, his words take on a more serious tone. He says, remind them, solemnly charge them in the presence of God. In other words, this warning comes with divine authority. It means a lot in the eyes of God. He says, charge them not to wrangle with words. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Wrangle. I don't know about you, but it makes me think of two people wrestling. They're wrangling together, right? And that's actually a good word picture because wrangle in the original text means word fight. That's what the word means, word fight. And so Paul is saying, tell them not to make war with their words. The reason is he says it only brings ruin to those who hear. In other words, people get hurt in a war of words. In fact, as we'll soon find out, these word fights are destroying people's faith. It's distracting them from Christ, leading them away in order to gain a following. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's go back probably just a few pages in your Bible to the first letter that Paul writes to Timothy, because these two are connected. The problem that exists in 1 Timothy carries over into 2 Timothy. So I want you to look at chapter 6, verse 3. He says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and of deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Now, when I read those verses, there are three things that stand out in my mind about these people who are creating these dissensions. They are conceited, they're argumentative, and they're a source of constant friction. Conceited, argumentative, and a source of constant friction. You've probably met people like this because they're an expert in everything. (laughs) There is not a topic on the face of this earth that they do not possess an opinion about. Right? Jason Martin actually met one of these people this week. As you may know, he's been struggling with some health issues, and so you can pray for him in that. But lo and behold, the guy who installed his water softener had all the answers. Just think of all the money he could have solved if he would have gone to this guy in the first place, right? He knew exactly what he needed to do to be healthy for the rest of his life. People like this have all the answers. And eventually, their arrogance leads to arguments. Because they're always right. They love a good debate. (laughs) They feed off of controversy. Why? Because it gives them a platform to express their opinion. But it's just a game of prideful posturing in order to gain a following. It may surprise you to know that in, in years past, we've actually had people come to the elders and tell us that they believe for the good of the church they are supposed to always have the dissenting voice. In other words, they are sent by God to be the devil's advocate. Now, does that make any sense to you at all? 
But that's what's happening in the church of Ephesus, and it's continuing in the church today. People like this are just posturing for influence. It has more to do with stroking their ego than it does with advancing the faith. They're making a scene for selfish gain. Or to put it more simply, they just want more followers. So they'll use their words to gain attention for themselves. Let's go back to 2 Timothy and pick up where we left off. Actually, I want you to go over to verse 16 as Paul continues this thought of who these people are. Look at uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 16. He says, But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and thus they upset the faith of some. Now, worldly chatter, or empty or worldly chatter, is just basically words that don't honor God. They're distractions to our faith. Conversations that lead us away from Christ instead of towards Him. Instead of building up, they actually tear down. I think very often these are arguments of silence. Assumption about what the Bible implies instead of what it actually says. It's taking things out of context in order to make the point that you want to make. And so Paul says, their talk will spread like gangrene. Now, I used to do wound care when I worked at UMC, so I know what this looks like, and it's nasty. Gangrene is a deadly infection. It it thrives off of compromised or immune-depressing situations. What it actually is is a restriction of blood flow to an area which allows that infection, that gangrene to take hold, and it'll eat away skin, it'll eat away bones, anything that's in its path. I've seen people lose toes, fingers, hands, legs. It is a deadly infectious disease. And that's the picture that Paul is giving us about what is happening within the church with this empty chatter. It's deadly. These words fit exactly what's happening within the church in Ephesus, having the same effect. Prideful people are preying on those who are weak. They're stirring up controversies in order to make a name for themselves. And these distractions are deadly because they're shifting their attention away from Christ. And in doing so, they're, re- re- they're restricting the flow of his life-giving truth. And in the end, it's causing people to lose confidence in their faith. Literally, they don't know what to believe anymore because it's become so confusing. And Paul goes on to identify two of these men who are involved in these controversies. He names them Hymenaeus and Philetus. Now, Hymenaeus has a history of causing dissension. In fact, he's the one Paul's talking about back in 1 Timothy, the one who's conceited, the one who's arrogant and argumentative. Is a constant source of distraction. And now he's got a new sidekick, Philetus. Now, what you may know is that Hymenaeus has actually been under church discipline. He's literally been cut off from the church because of his infectious talk. But he's back again. And he's leading people astray by promoting this idea that the resurrection has already happened. Now, you probably hear that and think to yourself, 
what's the big deal? Why would that be attractive at all? How does that exactly lead people astray? Well, here's why. A realized resurrection is the idea that Jesus Christ came to give us the good life right now. A realized resurrection says that Jesus came for the purpose of giving us the good life right now. And so, really, at its core, all this is, is an ancient false gospel known as the prosperity gospel. It's the belief that God promises immediate solutions to all of life's problems right now. If you're a Christian, it's the idea that things should generally go well for you. Jesus came so that you could have heaven on earth. That's a realized resurrection. And let's be honest, it's that idea that has formed some of the largest churches in America today. So apparently, Hymenaeus is alive and well. He's teaching that the blessings of God are evidence of his presence in your life. Health, wealth, privilege, power, that's the fruit of the Spirit in this false gospel. And it's ruining people's faith. Why? Because it's taking their eyes off of Christ. It's a dangerous perspective because it blurs the line of sin. What I have is more important than how I got there. The end justifies the means. See, we idolize people like this. We idolize people who are successful. We often say, and listen to me here, They must have done something right. Sound familiar? The danger is that it divorces us from dependence upon Jesus Christ. It it elevates the gift over the giver. It promotes the belief that God's goal is to give me the good life. Instead of suffering for Christ, I expect Christ to improve my life. Think about that in the context of everything Paul has been saying up to this point. Do you see how contradictory it is to what he's been saying? I mean, Paul's in prison. And he's telling, he's telling Timothy, be unashamed of the gospel. I'm suffering for the cause of Christ. And Timothy, as a follower of Christ, join me in suffering for the very same thing. It is not easy. To live faithfully for Christ in a sin-cursed world. That's the reality. This world is not our home. Think about what Paul has been talking about when he tries to make comparisons so we'll understand what we've been called. So he talks about a a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Now, Now, we've talked about this, but let me remind you. Do any of those three examples give you the idea that those people are looking for an easy way out? Do any of those portray that? Absolutely not. These are people who do hard things when it's the right thing. They strive toward a mission. They strive toward a prize. They strive towards the harvest because that's what they've been called to do. You see, we honor God most when we don't have all the luxuries of life, when life doesn't go well, and it's okay. We honor God when we cling to to Christ, when his love 
satisfies our life more than anything this world has to offer. See, that's the message that honors God most. So that even if Jesus is all you have, Jesus is all you need. That's what Paul is trying to impress upon Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ and remind the church to avoid conversations that take their eyes off of him because he's ultimately what satisfies what our heart longs for most. Seek him first. Look at how he continues in verse 15. He's telling Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. This is the antidote to those infectious teachings that were going on within the church. He says, be diligent to rightly handle God's word. In other words, make sure what you say is consistent with what God said. Rightly handle God's word. He says, Present yourself approved by God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Approved is this idea of being confirmed through testing. Essentially, it's someone who puts their faith into action and finds that God is faithful. Someone who aligns their life with the truth of God's word. See, they don't need a fresh perspective. They don't need a, a new idea to be relevant They believe that God's word is living and active and relevant in every single age. Their heart is centered on his truth. And and Paul is telling Timothy, you be that man. You see, more often than not, people get creative with the gospel because they want you to be impressed with them, not Jesus. They're looking for the approval of man more than the approval of God. Paul is telling Timothy, I want you to know God's opinion is the only one that counts. So do what is right in his eyes, handling correctly his word. That word handling literally means to cut straight. So Paul is telling Timothy, hey, don't deviate from what we know to be true. Don't get creative in order to try and impress people. Speak the truth in love. I mentioned recently that the elders did a study just to try to better understand what it means for somebody to be able to teach. And I told you recently that the simple consensus of that discussion was it's somebody who rightly handles God's word. It's the person in verse 15. Somebody who is humble as they handle God's word, teaching others out of what they are learning themselves. They want you to be more impressed with Jesus than you are with them. Their message is centered on Christ and consistent in all settings. They're not inclined towards new ideas, personal opinions, best-selling theology. They just want you to know Jesus. That's the man that Paul wants Timothy to be. Someone who stands in stark contrast to people like Hymenaeus and Philetus. Because people like that are more impressed with themselves than they are with God. And they're all over our world today. And many of them are in our churches. And so Paul is telling Timothy, as he is telling you and I, fix your eyes on Jesus. If your life doesn't center on him, 
then you're missing out on what he's made possible. Look at how he continues in verse 19. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. In the midst of all this shaky theology, Paul tries to boil it down to to two simple truths. And they're really related to each other. The first one is this. God knows what's in your heart. The second one, what's in your heart will be evidenced in how you live. Those are the two foundations of what we believe as Christians. God knows what's in your heart. And what's in your heart will be evidenced in how you live. He begins with God, the one who knows those who are his. It reminds me of that passage in Ephesians where Paul tells the Ephesians, having believed in the gospel, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That idea of a seal is a mark of ownership. It says, this one belongs to me. And at that moment of faith, when you put your trust in Christ, he put his seal upon you. And he says, this one belongs to me for all eternity. The security of your salvation is based on his promise, not your performance. God knows what's in our heart, even in the midst of our doubts. And I don't know about you, but that's hugely comforting to me, to to know that God is more certain of my faith than even I am. I don't have to convince God of something he already knows to be true. I don't have to put on a show in order to make a good impression. I can live out my faith with the assurance of his approval. Think about that. Think about how life-changing that one statement would be, that you and I can live out our faith with the assurance of his approval. What difference would that make? I want you to think about this. How we live is not just a reflection about what we believe about God, although that's true. But how we live is also a reflection of what we believe God believes about us. We see it play itself all the time in the context of a family. You see, when a dad thinks his son is a failure, chances are his son will live up to those expectations. But a loving father, Helps his son see things that he might not even believe about himself. His son may think that he's a failure. Father helps him see diligence. The son may think he's inadequate. The father will help him see courage. Over time, the son's character will reflect the father's perspective. And the very same thing is true in our relationship with God, our heavenly father. The more you learn about who he is, the more you understand who he created you to be. He wants you to live out of the reality of what he made possible. He wants you to be conformed into the image of his son, to develop the very same character that was demonstrated in the life of Christ. The more you see yourself as a child of God, the more you'll live like one. The more you see yourself as a child of God, the more you'll live like one. God knows what's in your heart, and he wants you to know what's in his. That's why all these alternative ideas are so destructive. They give you the false understanding of where you find life. 
they point you towards the path of relationships, successful careers, cool clothes, nice cars. They include just enough Christianity so that you don't feel guilty. Even suggesting that these good things are evidence of God's presence in your life. And they might be. But more often than not, they are the enemy's distraction. Because when these things become our life's pursuit, when the words and images that we regularly consume feed this appetite for more, we end up finding our identity in what we have instead of whose we are. We are distracted from following Christ, and we get lost in these empty pursuits. We lose the identity of who God created us to be, and we find ourselves disappointed and disillusioned with life. It's so important to understand where you go to find truth. Because anything that does not come from God is ultimately destructive in your life. See, our world is filled with words. And what you consume can't help but shape your perspective. So does it build your faith? Or does it cause you to doubt? Does it lead you to Christ? Or does it cause you to go away? The words you consume ultimately define who you are. The word you consume ultimately defines who you are. And not only that, the word you speak reveal what you believe. Jesus said, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. We could translate into some of today's ter- terminology and say, your fingers tweet what you truly believe. <laughs> your mouth speaks out of that which fills your heart. Do they honor Christ or just make you look good? Here's the deal. This is not a message about what you shouldn't do. I'm not against social media. I want you to understand that. I'm on Twitter, okay? And I'm on there because my goal, my desire, is to interject truth into a world of confusion. So it's not a bad thing. But how you use it matters. This is not ultimately a message about what you shouldn't do. You know what it is. It's an invitation to what it could be when you find your life in Christ. You see, your heart longs to be satisfied. And the world is filled with distractions that promise you the answer. And every single one of them will leave you disappointed. Because there is only one that satisfies your heart more than anything you could ever ask or imagine. And it's the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, he, devi- he desires for your life to be defined by what he sees in you. He wants you to be more satisfied in him than anything this world has to offer. He wants you to live out of the fullness who he created you to be. And I'm convinced that there is only one place you can go and be certain that what you find is true. And it's right here. This book has words that lead to life because it teaches us 
about Jesus Christ. And it's the only place that you can find the answers to what your heart longs for most. The world is filled with words. And what we consume ultimately determines what we believe. Does it build up your faith? Or does it cause you to doubt? Does it lead you to Christ? Or does it draw you away? The words you consume define who you are. So Paul is saying, use your words wisely. And let me encourage us all to know and understand that the life that we long for was made possible through Christ. He came to rescue us from empty pursuits and ultimately find our life in him. That's why he came. And so let's keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, despising the shame, endured the cross and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners, whose life was not easy, who suffered the cross for our sake, so that you won't grow weary and lose heart when this world doesn't give you what your heart longs for because it was never intended to. That can only be found in Jesus Christ. He's all you need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us and wanting us to see how much you love us. You wanted us to see what you think of us. And you did that most beautifully through the life of Christ when he gave his life for the sake of our sins. That's how much you love us. And Father, as blatant as that may be, this world is filled with distractions, empty promises of where we find life. And yet we know that life as we so desire is only found through Jesus Christ. So help us to be careful about the words we consume so that what we believe ultimately comes from you, from your word. The only place that we can be certain that it is good that it is right, and that it is true. Would you help all of us live with the understanding of who you created us to be, what you see us to be, and how incredible would it be to live out faithfully with the assurance of your approval? Father, help us to put our trust in you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Have a great day.